0: Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Rad Friends podcast, where we look at life's thorniest questions with one of our rad friends. Today, I'm joined by Anita Amini, who is a software engineer and a somatic coach. And our question for today is, what is self-love? Hello, Anita.
1: Hello. Thanks for having me.
0: It's so, I, I wanted to drop right into how this all came about. And I'll tell a story that I found Anita's profile on Twitter and her pinned tweet was an essay that said, let me see, I have the title, how I finally found self-love or what I call internal love. And so as I read through this essay, which we'll talk about, I was just blown away every paragraph, I kept saying to myself, this is me, this is me, I tried this, I felt this, I feel this, I hurt this way, I've tried, you know, so I just kept reading it and I just I just started forwarding it to at least 40 different people. I'm like, this is us, this is us, she gets us. And so we're going to talk about this all. So I wanted to give that that context. So know, why don't you uh, tell us? We were just talking earlier. You're in a transitional phase, but you went to school for pharma- pharmaceutical studies. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you became a software engineer. And now you're a somatic coach. Walk us through a little bit. Paint that picture for us, please.
1: Sure. Yeah. So I did, yeah, I did pharmaceutical science at uni because chemistry was one of my favorite subjects and it seemed like a fun, fun degree. But about six months into it, I was like, oh, actually this is not for me. I don't like working in a lab. And I don't like pharmaceutical companies. So it was like, it didn't make sense to be in that degree. But I had made such amazing friends by that point that I was like, I'm just gonna stay and hang out with my friends. So I finished that degree and worked in that field for a couple of years, but I kind of looked at the most senior person in that the unit that I was working in and I was like, if I don't want that job, then why am I, you know, why, why be here? And then I started looking at different options and eventually I landed on coding and I got really hooked on it and yeah, I started training in it. I did a bootcamp and that's what I've been doing for work for the last, yeah, six, think close to seven years, but in 2021. I got really burnt out. I was working for an online pharmacy and during COVID, we got really, really busy and the workload was crazy and I just got really burnt out. And yeah, I think we'll probably get into this later, but I had a lot of imposter syndrome, so the imposter syndrome was feeding the, you know, my desire to kind of throw myself into the work to kind of prove myself. And this was a vicious cycle that led to burnout. And eventually I I had to leave because I just couldn't, couldn't cope anymore. And I spent pretty much all of 2022 exploring stuff, healing, learning about what led me to burnout and how do I come out of it and how do I heal and how do I get to a place where there's a lot more ease in my system and there's less anxiety. And towards the end of that, I did this residency where I was with about 19 other participants and everyone in that residency was doing different projects to do with attunement and somatic stuff and well-being. And for my project, I focused on IFS, which was something that I was becoming more and more interested in at, uh, at the time. And, and I'll so pause I started, you there. IFS okay, is sure. a
0: therapy modality, right?
1: Exactly, yeah, internal family systems, which is a, yeah, it's a parts work modality related to, yeah, the different parts of us that might have conflicting needs and desires. And I started doing that and kind of facilitating sessions there. And I also was facilitating, facilitating a little bit of breath work. And then in earlier this year, 2023, I decided to try coding again I was like okay I'm ready to work again I'm ready to be engaging in those I think left brain activities if I'm wrong yeah. and yeah and so I kind of threw myself into that job and then I it was a freelance gig so I was kind of more flexible but I just knew that it wasn't working for me and so eventually I was like okay I've been on this self-love journey which we'll, we'll talk about later but I have this thing and then I have like IFS stuff that I did, which I really enjoyed. So why don't I kind of bring these two things together and start doing sessions again and with more, and then this time with more of a self-love lens. And that's what I've been doing so far. It's been really fun.
0: I love this. And and one of the the great things about the, the the guests on this podcast is that it's really hard to describe what they do. It's very hard for me to describe what I do. I'm like an author, an internet entrepreneur, a coach. I don't even have a dad. I usually just go with I'm a, I'm a dad. But, oh, you touched on, okay, so you touched on burnout, imposter, burn, burnout in, induced by imposter syndrome, which we're going to come back to. Yeah. You talked about IFS, which is parts work, and, and I'm going to ask you about that uh, as well. It's kind of my understanding of it is it's, Kind of, we are, our psyche is is these different parts, are basically these different parts and needs and how they interact. But we'll come back to that. But I want to know, what were you like as a student in like middle school?
1: I haven't haven't been thinking about it in a long time, actually. I think I was, I felt out of place because I like to hang out with adults and I found other kids a bit like, My interests and their interests were like, I was really into documentaries and I was like Mm -hmm. researching stuff in my free time. And meanwhile, my friends were talking about boys and music bands and I just wasn't really interested in those things. So, yeah, I remember being alone a lot in terms of even though I was around other people, I felt alone because I felt like my interests didn't align too well with, Mm -hmm. with the others. And. And I think I also even though I did okay at school, I did struggle because it was really hard for me to study a topic if I wasn't interested in it and yeah it was it was quite a challenging and i saw i'm a I'm an immigrant, so coming into secondary school as an immigrant that was really difficult as well, so yeah, all round I would think it was it was quite challenging experience. and you
0: were you immigrated from where
1: from Iran when I was ten.
0: Okay. To?
1: To London. To London. Yeah. England. Yeah.
0: And you've been, you've been in London, in England since you were 10? I have. Yeah. yeah. Got it. Got it. And so that, I I wonder the, and so how did, what was the culture kind of, well, how did your parents approach kind of education and achievement kind of, you know, immigrant family, new country? You know, you're ten. You're you're a formed human. You know. What was like? What was the role of education, kind of in in your household as a, a growing up?
1: Mm-hmm. It was really big. I would say, like in, so I did my primary school in Iran and then I did my secondary school in the UK. And primary schools in Iran are way more difficult than the ones in the UK or the US. So after school, my parents would always help me with my so my dad would be helping me me with, with maths and science. And then my mom would be helping me me with literature and kind of she's coming from an arts background. So she was helping me with like humanities and those those kind of subjects. And so they were both helping me a lot on the side because I think in Iran you can't the school itself is not enough. You need support on top of school itself because otherwise you won't kind of get ahead from their eyes so yeah there was a lot of like we got to do extra extra work on the side so there was that and then there was obviously this expectation to become a doctor which is quite familiar I think to many immigrants so it was like oh
0: so that that transcends Asian culture (laughs) that transcends that crosses the pond
1: yeah which actually it's funny because I just went back Recently, just a couple of weeks ago, and I I saw like that actually, if you are a doctor, you do really well. So I kind of saw for the first time why, where this obsession comes from, because I didn't understand it before. Because like that, it doesn't quite translate to the UK culture, because you know there's there's jobs where you could make way more money in the UK yeah. than than being a doctor. So
0: sadly, uh, being a doctor in in the in London might be like a middle class job
1: <laughs> compared yeah, to is. being yeah. a banker. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. was
0: like in New York. Oh, that's yeah. right. And did you, that that feeling of the, my peers don't understand, don't share my interest. You, I think you used the word belonging. Did that ever, when did that go away or did that ever subside? Mm.
1: I think at uni I had that. A bit less because I found just a really loving group of friends and we're really tight. And I think we had, even though we all had very different interests and different like life principles, we had enough in common that kind of brought us together. And like, we just like to just sit around and laugh and make jokes. And it was just like a really fun group to be in. And I think I felt like I belonged more in that group, even though maybe some of our interests were quite different.
0: Got it. Very cool. And so let's go back to, I'm sure we'll circle back because I'm curious how a lot of the self-love, self-acceptance questions come back to being a child, being a, how we grew up, how we were raised. But so you said you, so you made this pivot to software engineering and you said, I'm paraphrasing, burnout, imposter syndrome induced burnout. See, what is that? What? What happened? So,
1: yeah, I think I was in a job that I really cared about. I think it was at the time it was the job that I had liked the most compared to my previous roles. So I really cared, and I really cared about the people. And I felt because it was an online pharmacy, I felt like what we were doing physically impacted people for the for the better. So, especially during COVID, so there was all this like expectation on myself to really deliver and really have impact as much as possible. And then there was this other side that was like, oh, I have to produce the highest quality work and this, this pressure, it was, it was just too much. Eventually it just got too much. And I think that, that pressure also came from, came from imposter syndrome. So it was like this voice of like, oh. You lack in these ways when it comes to your skill set. Therefore, you need to double down and do more and spend more time and perfect this. And it wasn't even perfection, actually. It was more like, I just need to spend more time.
0: Hmm. Was, sorry. Go ahead. Was, was, did you feel that when you're in pharmacy school? Or like that, uh, the role after pharmacy? pharmacy?
1: No, because I felt under, what's the word? Underutilized in that role. Okay. So I didn't feel that at the time. And I actually, what I wanted was something to mentally challenge me and or inter- intellectually challenge me. Mm. And I got that. So that yeah. was great. Like that really satisfied that itch, as encoding did. But then it came with this, like this self-doubt that I had. It was like mm. the perfect... Environment for that self doubt to be fed and to grow. And yeah. Yeah.
0: Wow. Is that and the does it do you think it has to do with you not taking the traditional, like if you had majored in computer science, do you think you would have felt that same level? Is it because you took an atypical path into coding that you felt that?
1: Yeah. I think that had a big, big, what's the, what's the word? Like a big role in it. For sure, because I felt like I lacked some of the the foundations and the, I don't know, legitimacy, I guess. And at the same time, I had so many interests on the side, so I wasn't willing to kind of do the work that was required to get that foundation in place. Like I I did to the extent that I was able to do, but I wasn't willing to do it like every waking moment because I had so many other interests and things that I was doing in my free time. So it felt like there was always this, this race that I was losing. It was like, oh, I need more time to, to kind of mm. learn these things and to improve. And I think there's also this, this pressure is just something that is common in the programming field. Mm. I don't think it's necessarily unique to me, but I think my brain or my body just took it to the next level. And Yeah and i think at some point it got to a point where because it was painful i was avoiding it and so it was like yeah it's just this 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 cycle that wasn't fruitful
0: we were we've talked a lot about burnout on this podcast with a few different guests and one one guest or two guests have actually said they've kind of looked at, at burnout in, in two ways there's burnout that's imposed upon you from from someone so like in an investment banking would be a classic example when it's like they give you the work at 10 PM. So, yeah. you know, you're going to burn out just by virtue of showing up, right? Yeah. Someone imposed that burnout on you. But then there's a much more subtle burnout, which is self-induced burnout, which can come from, from so many different places. And like, I, I feel that, I feel that all the time in, in the sense that I, I'm al- I feel like I always need to be doing something productive. And so even when my I'm doing the dishes, I'm listening to a podcast. If I'm in my car, if my kids are just slightly distracted, there's always, I have like three books I can pick from like easy, medium, hard. And so whatever, whatever I'm feeling in that moment, I could just like grab, you know, medium, right? Like hard might be like the Bhagavad Gita and Easy might be, you know, some biography about a rapper or something like that. And it's not always advancing my career per se, but it's just that need to to just like always be active. And so I wanted to ask you when you you you'd alluded to some of it, but how much of that burnout was externally imposed? Like the high expectations of your colleagues or your boss or, or the culture you were working in?
1: I would say not a lot. There was a little bit of it because there had been redundancies in the company. So there was suddenly less people for the same amount of workload. And because, you know, it was COVID, so we just, there was a lot of demand on our business. But I would say the majority of it was self-imposed. It was coming from, from, you know, the the stuff that I alluded to, like the the imposter syndrome and the self-doubt. It was like, oh, I need to... I need to quiet this, this thing. Otherwise, I mean, there's like this existential thing of you, you think that even though rationally, you know, that you're not going to get fired because you're doing a good job, there is still this voice at the same time that, that says, I need to do better. I need to do better. I need to do better. So it was, I would say majority of it was self-imposed.
0: Yeah. Oh God. That voice that I need to do better. I need to do better voice. And so take take us to what, you know, at the depths this this led you to quit. Yeah. At the depths of your burnout, what like what was happening to you physically and emotionally?
1: So I was feeling a mix of on some on one level I was completely numb and just hopeless. Like The kind of the image that comes to mind is like I was on a train and this train was going and I knew that I just knew that I need to jump off but I couldn't because I was too scared to jump off and I knew I knew that I was burnt out and I knew that when you burn out coming back to to your baseline is going to take way more time than if I if I just stopped now you know like when I was say halfway through that process like I knew and my partner had been through burnout. So I kind of knew what that process looks like. And knowing that didn't help, like I still couldn't come off that that train, you know. And I was so overwhelmed to the point that even if I needed to order something from Amazon or just like I needed something to do around the house or something, I just couldn't. Like I was so overwhelmed by the smallest task. Even texting someone sometimes felt too overwhelming for me. And I just was I could feel in real time my brain was rewiring because suddenly fear became the dominant emotion, whereas before that wasn't the case. And I could see that things that didn't scare me before, like the idea of even asking for annual leave, which I always did freely, even that started to become scary. And Mm. yeah, every everything felt like it came with more pressure like more risk or like there was more risk to to every action and yeah that my brain was just in this high alert high threat kind of situation and and actually I decided to leave and then my my managers asked me to go on sick leave instead just to take a break so I went on sick leave and then I went on holiday with my family and I actually had a panic attack during that that trip and that was one of the moments where I realized, okay, like, this has actually gotten an out of hand. I need to, because I hadn't had that experience before. First, your, I,
0: your first panic attack?
1: Yeah, yeah. And that's when, you know, when I was on on that holiday, I was like, oh, okay, maybe I'll go back to work then. Like, I've had some time off. But when I had that panic attack, I was like, oh, no, this is, like, way more fundamental than I realized I'm going to take as long as I need. I need. Yeah.
0: And you kept, You mentioned a few times, you know, there was a train, you were scared, you were scared of uh, of getting off the train. There was a fear of the train. And you said, you know, everything, you know, there was a fear of asking for leave. Can you, was there a, a specific set of fears that you, that, that you could like name? Or was it like, what were those fears, if it's possible to name?
1: I think there was this fear of, Going into the abyss in that I, if like, if I was just saying to myself, okay, I'm going to leave this job and I'm going to give myself two months and then I'm going to start looking for another job. If that was the plan, I would have been fine. But I knew that that wasn't, I wasn't capable of that in that moment. I knew that I needed way more time. Like deep down, I knew that I needed at least six months or more. So I was, that, that felt like being untethered from my support system, which was having a job that paid Hmm. and I'd never been off of that that lifeline so that that's that's what was scary for me it was like the unknown of and and also there was a part of me that was like oh maybe this coding thing is not for you because it's it's getting too too harmful and painful and so I was like but then what is you know all I could see was just emptiness just this void like you remove the the coding skill, which is the thing that is the only way I know how to make a living, remove that. And then there's just this void. And I just couldn't face, like that just felt too scary. So I was like, well, if I stay on this path, then I know at least that I can keep making a living. And yeah, it was just, and how much. it of... I was scared that if God. I leave, I wouldn't be able to like get back on the train.
0: How much of it was, was financial? like i don't know how i can s- survive you know my daily existence without a job
1: it was financial in the sense that it was a scarcity mindset so it was very much financial in terms of like the fear was like not being able to because i think what i realized on that journey as well is that when i when i you know left left my job and was able to, like, reflect on things. I realized that I used money and making a living as a way to be independent and not have to rely on other people and not not to have to ask for help because if I have money, then I can just use the money instead of ask for help. And that's what was scary. It's like if I lose that, then I'm on my own.
0: Interesting. Because oftentimes with scarcity, people and I do this, their brains will catastrophize, which is like, if I leave this coding job, I can never get a coding job ever again. And I'll be broke and homeless and without healthcare. I mean, you guys have healthcare in England, but we don't, we have to pay for it. So it's almost more this kind of bottom rung of Maslow's hierarchy, kind of like true, it's not, it's not rational, but it's a basic needs, it's a survival fear it sounds like and i might i'm putting words in your mouth that that the fear was more the the help that comes from like from being able to use money to to get get access to help is that
1: is it, it was it, both it didn't,
0: it didn't seem like you were i did okay. have both
1: so i did have the one that's like oh if i leave this job i will never even though i had had so many coding jobs by that point so i had proved to myself that I, i'm capable of getting a coding job but it felt like oh this time it will be different you know and so i did have i did have this this fear of like i what if i never get a job like this ever again um and that i will lose money and then what's going to happen i will have to go to back to my parents house what if my parents have problems and then none of us like you know like i i was i was going down that like i don't it's not a rabbit hole it's more like i don't know some form Death of spirals. spiral yeah but I also had the thing that was to do with independence and not not wanting to ask for
0: them. Yeah. It's a, one of our questions in the podcast. It's going to come out in, in a few weeks. Episode six, I think, is why do I fear? Why do we fear being ordinary? And so it's kind of talks of like that vacuum, that you know, an identity vacuum. Like, I'm a coder. I felt that leaving Wall Street, you know, people ask, what do you do? It was like, you know, I'm a dad. And, and it's, we can, you know, so many stories can infiltrate these identity vacuums. But I, So I want to come back. I want to pivot us into the self-love because I feel like it's, it sets the stage at least. So you're, you're kind of at this physical and emotional rock, rock bottom or low, and you desi- decide to, to quit and so today's today's question, and for, for our listeners, if you, we have these group coaching sessions where we do, where we talk about these questions. So check out radreads.co slash coaching. So today's question is, what is self-love? And maybe, so you're at this bottom point, like where, where what role is self-love starting to play here?
1: So the, the plans of this self-love, Quest, let's say, was see. Sorry, the seed of this was planted a couple years back. So, during, so I was always interested in like personal transformation and healing and all, all this kind of work. And in one of those experiences, I realized that I had this kind of altered state of consciousness experience where I was like sitting on a sofa and then I kind of saw it's like. I was sitting on the sofa and then I could see myself standing and looking at me that was sitting on the sofa. And then the one that was standing, looking at me, didn't like me. And so Mm. that was the moment where I realized that, that I had parts in me that didn't, didn't like me or didn't love me. And that was a massive realization because I, I just wasn't privy to that. I didn't have any, no idea that i that i had that in me that you know there was something that is inside me so that really like got me curious about self-love and then what happened was that every time i was
0: was that can i interrupt yeah, you there was that was that a psychedelic yeah it was yeah experience was, or that you were just no it was got, yeah it was a psychedelic experience, um, yeah. um i've had similar as well
1: <laughs> i would love to yeah. hear
0: well i'll, I'll talk once you... Once you... It will come up okay. later. Okay. But. Cool. Do, do you think, though... Because I think a lot of... I've talked about psychedelics a bunch on, on this podcast. I've only had one psychedelic journey. I think a lot of listeners are like, I refuse to do psychedelics. Mm-hmm. And so I think they're going to... They're going to dismiss what we're going to say. Mm-hmm. Not dismiss, but they're going to view it as completely unrelatable okay. because they won't walk into... Through that door. And I'm... I definitely... I'm not a pro or against. It's just, it's something I did that was very impactful. Mm-hmm. Uh, but how do you, how would you respond to that? Where it's like, oh, you know, I can't relate because I'm never going to do psychedelics. I think so I, I might never see that.
1: I've had glimpses of those kind of experiences in other settings. So mm-hmm. I think that psychedelics is like one of the most obvious ways to bring about those experiences, but I've had them in many different different experiences where I've been. Exposed to heat, where I've had that experience, or I've had it in, you know, in breathwork journeys, or I, I even had an quite an important experience in a cacao ceremony. Like that was not like cacao is not very, you know, it's not a strong substance or anything. So it's I think that those things, if we are sensitive enough to it, they can come about in many different. Can come about in meditation, etc. So. That's what I would say in response to that. I think it's not unique to to psychedelics.
0: Mm-hmm. And so you see this version of you, this other,
1: mm-hmm.
0: it's like a, It's. It, can you, like, how old are you? Where, where are you?
1: It was, I think it was like the same age as me. It didn't seem that distinct from me, but it was like, I could see myself sitting on the sofa the, in a way that I don't normally obviously experience, you know? And, and it's funny in that the same, the same day during that same trip, I, you know, I suddenly had this, this realization and then I was like, kind of like went inside and I could receive the confirmation that, yeah, that was the case. So I was like really sad and I was crying, et cetera. But then later on, I went to the kitchen to get, get a snack. So this is kind of towards the end of my trip and I saw that I had like, like past, the past version of me had left me a sandwich and I just sat down on the kitchen floor sobbing because I was like, okay, like something in me does love me still because it was like mm. anticipating that I would need this this food right now because I was oh. not in a state to be preparing food. So that was a.
0: And was this version of you talking to you? Like, does it say or was it?
1: A felt. It was a sense. felt sense, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, so that kind of just started this whole self love journey for me. And then every time I was having, either if I was having problems like self doubt or other issues that I was faced with, or if I was going into some kind of like healing journey, whether it was psychedelics or otherwise. My intention always was that I would always come to the same conclusion that, oh, if I love myself more and if I had this like baseline of self-love, then these problems would be very different or they would feel very different. Um, and at the time, it, I had a strong conviction that that would be the case, but I wasn't sure. And now being on the other side of that journey, I can kind of, it's confirmed for Me that, that 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 yeah, that is that is true. That that the my baseline now feels very different having gone through that that yeah. three year journey of cultivating self love. Wow.
0: So you have this encounter with you know, and and Anita 2.0 or or whatever, I guess 1.0, <laughs> <laughs> and then you kind of so you're you go back kind of to your everyday life, you're coding. You have the bur, you know, you're experiencing the burnout, the imposter syndrome. What else are you, but I, I can relate to this and I'll share my part okay. after we go through your part, but you can relate, to, but you've, the, the, the way it's, I, I explain psychedelics is you can't unsee the thing that you yeah. saw and people are like, oh, you're high. You're, it's not like you're drunk or on, M, you know, Molly or all that. It's like, it's crystal. It's almost like you're dead sober. Yeah. And, and it just, you see it and, and I just, I mean, I have goosebumps now. It's just like, you can't unsee it. And I think that scares people. I think it's also very beautiful. So you see this thing that presumably, I, I hate to put words in people's I'm mouths, sorry. but that you presumably can't unsee. Yeah. And so what, but you kind of get back to your life that is kind of stressful. What else is unfurling for you in that self-love journey?
1: So then I'm noticing as I'm living life and as I'm kind of doing the coding work, etc. I'm realizing how this like lack of self-love manifests on a day-to-day basis. So I'm realizing that if something happens at work, suddenly I spiral and get like so much self-doubt where I'm just like undermining all of my achievements and just focusing on that, that one thing that went wrong. Or if I'm in a social interaction with someone and something happens, I feel really self-conscious afterwards or yeah, all of these kind of things. I'm realizing, oh, this is, this is related to the self-love. And so I do, I start like gravitating more towards things that I was already doing, but I was like doing it more with this intention of like, okay, I'm going to focus on this self-love thing. And I, one of the things I did was Joe Hudson's. Masterclass, um, mm. Art of Accomplishment. So I did that and that. A lot of what I focused on during that is an eight-week weeks, eight week course. It was quite intense. And a lot of what I focused on was the, the self-doubt and, and actually that cor- course basically kind of got rid of my internal negative monologue, like internal, sorry, negative yeah. inner voice. Which I felt was like huge in terms of like the before and after was quite quite big, mm-hmm. and and yeah, I went through lots of different experiences like this. Oh, I went. I after, I'll so. pause
0: you on the Joe Hudson sure. course. So I had the privilege of meeting Joe. Joe's a very hard person to describe. He's this spiritual seeker, but he's a VC. He's also a VC, a philanthropist. He's hilarious. <laughs> He has this way, I just met him for the once, for a weekend, and he has this way of just, he like looks at you and he just kind of sees what you're thinking. Just, it, it, was, it was mind-blowing. I feel very, Joe, if you're listening to this, I feel very honored to have been in, in your presence. But I'm going to read, so here, I'm, this is the, the one sentence that really drew me to, to, to really dig into your story, which led us to here. And I'm just going to read it. I have my phone. He said, so I took this course. It's an online course that anyone can take. I haven't taken it yet, but it's on my list. Much of what Joe taught us rested on the premise that almost all of us grow up with a false notion that we are not inherently, quote unquote, good. This problematic belief then prevents us from loving ourselves because, well, why would we be, why would we be worthy of love if we're bad?" And so I just want to pause that as like most of us grow up with the false notion that we are not inherently good. Say more. <laughs>
1: yeah, I mean that yeah, this this premise is it comes from Joe Hudson so I can't take any credit for for this, but it really resonated with me because it it kind of I think when I heard that, and when I experienced it in the course, it clicked onto this realization I had prior to this. When when I realized I didn't like myself, because I was like, "Oh, that's kind of," I got a glimpse into that, like on a on a vivid level. Oh, I don't know. It was quite vivid for me, right? And and actually, it's funny when and maybe I'm jumping jumping over some some details here, but the kind of this three year journey, the way it ended in some, maybe ended is the wrong word because I feel like it's a lifelong journey, but in a way that it got to some conclusion, let's say, with regards to what my goal was with with regards to the journey. So what happened was like, again, I was in another psychedelic experience. And then this time after coming through, coming out of all these journeys of trying to love myself and trying different different techniques i discovered something deep it just felt like the deepest part of me and it wasn't even a part it was just like something and it was like this thing did not give a damn about what i did or what i do it just loved me no matter what and that was that was kind of Going back to the uh, this belief that we're not inherently good, it was like this part was kind of telling me that I don't actually care about what you do, you're good anyways. And there was almost this moment of like, oh, I don't even need to have shame about my actions because not to say that I don't need to take responsibility for my actions, but I don't need to be personally ashamed mm. because I am good regardless.
0: yeah, oh, that's like so moving and it's it's so beautiful and i I know that so many listeners will it's almost I've gotten a glimpse of that, but it almost feels unfathomable to to get to that state, like unimaginable for for folks that are kind of wired like you and i are, are wired we're wired but i'll give you we'll we'll circle back so i'll i'll share with you similar so for me it's been it's been less imposter syndrome and more just needing to prove to others that i am x i'm talented i'm smart i'm special i'm wealthy like just like pick whatever marker be it explicit or implicit so like people always show like okay oh, as a new hobby and then you know two years later he's going to be so good at it because he just obsess. he becomes obsessive about it and what they don't what it's true it's like oh like I decided to like learn how to surf and like I'm a really good surfer now four years later but what they don't see is how much pressure I put on myself and I'm like Like, I'm thinking about, I'm studying, I'm like, and I'll never be a, like, I will never be a a professional, I will never be anything in anything to, anything to anyone in surfing because I started when I was 41 years old, for 38 years old. But there is this, like, when people say, like, wow, you're a really good surfer, it just, like, it makes me momentary, it's like a drug, Mm. it's like a sip of alcohol. And so one of my coaches, you might, you might have crossed paths with him, Andrew Taggart, He's a practical philosopher, but we joked during our, our coaching sessions that, that they were called micro-orgasms. So my whole life was in pursuit of micro-orgasms, just these little hits of like, you're good, you're cool, you're smart. Basically, they're validation yeah. hits. And when I couldn't get the validation hit, then I would turn to alcohol or, you know, food or whatever, or exercise. But it was just like, I was addicted to Getting those hits of validation, and I didn't. I knew something was off. That led to my. I never felt. I never personally had like like I'm burnt out, or maybe I did in the sense like I left Wall Street, but it's almost like burnout was in, First off, I'm I'm a, I'm older than the burnout. You know, I like like I like I'm from like now. I'm sound like an old fucking man, but yeah, I'm from the generation where burnout was like a badge of honor right? And so people would brag about taking red eyes. They would brag about how little they slept. Like that was in the culture. You know, no one cared about sleep, you know, profession, in like, you know, professional industries. So to some extent, burnout, you know, I didn't even have the language for it because it wasn't part of the zeitgeist. And then, and then even, and then I reached a point, it's like, oh, even if I did, I probably would have found a way to self-justified to myself, oh, you're not burned out. You just need to try harder. You just need to do this. So that's been, that too will give you a frame of like, for example, when I worked on wall street, I didn't let myself read fiction and I love fiction. Yeah. I was like, why would I, it's probably a little bit like you're coding. You're like, you could always be improving. Like, why would I waste time reading fiction when I can read a textbook about stochastic calculus? and be like way better at finance and make more money and get all these accolades. And I think more than the money, people would be like, can you believe he read like the textbook on stochastic calculus when everyone else is like watching MTV Real (laughs) World or something? And and it made me, it it brought me a sense of self. It made me proud. It brought me validation, but it was also like alcohol. It was so fleeting and you needed more and more and more of it to, just to maintain your base level of feeling, I, I would say self worth, but very much self love. I think they're, they're almost interchangeable. And so that and so I personally went through a lot of what I would call talk therapy. It was mostly like different modalities of coaching, but I just talked my way through it for the past 10 years hours a week, all different spiritual, technical, businessy, you know, conscious businessy, you know, leadership, just from every angle, we talked about this. And it kind of, I'm like, oh, okay, and now I start to see these patterns. But I was with our mutual friend Johnny and he said something like, at some point, at some level you reach a point where talking no longer serves you. Like I could keep talking about this. I, I fucking started a podcast to talk about it. I could talk about this till I'm blue in the face, but it's it's not changing that core wound. Right. And so people, that's when a lot of my peers were, said, look into somatic. And we'll talk about somatic because I didn't even know what that word meant until four months ago. But I'll bring this back to the psychedelic journey, which is the only one I've had kind of organized mm-hmm. with a therapist to. Guru, however you want to facilitate a professional facilitator. And so in this thing, in this journey, I'm laying down. It was a joint one with my wife. So I'm laying in in the in bed, and there's two therapists, like one for her and one for me. And I have an eye mask on. It's the middle of the day on a Friday. Our kids are being watched by my in-laws. Like we like flew out our kids to do this. And I'm just, I'm getting all these. Over the course, you'll hear, people will hear the whole journey, but this one specific part. So I'm just laying there and I'm just kind of chilling. It, by the way, in my journey, I met this other version of myself. So kind of like like you. So I met another version of myself, but this version was it's almost like a like a pure, like not subject to envy, not caring about what other people think. Just kind of like imagine if you could just like completely be free. Free, I guess, is the right. So there was free K and there was normal K. And the two of us were just having a conversation. He's like, why do you get so upset when this happens? And, and I would answer. So it was just this conversation in my head. I wasn't even speaking it. So free, pure K and then everyday K. And then at one point, I just start, I la- I'm, I'm laying down and I just start mm, repeating to myself, over and over and over again, I just want to be a good boy. I just want to be a good boy. I just want to be a good boy. And it was like, my heart was racing. It wasn't scary. It was just very intense. And, it, and this was actually physically intense. I was like sweating and my heart was racing. and and I wasn't even, I w- in my, in my mind, I was actually saying, I want to be a good boy. I want to be a good boy. But I actually wasn't. I asked that there like, was I talking? They're like, No, you weren't, you weren't saying a thing. And so I'm just saying, I just want to be a good boy. And then pure pure K turns to this other you know everyday K and says K you don't have to be good you are good and just like this like i was just overwhelmed by like emotions like so it's a little bit like the sand i don't know what part is like this like someone left you the sandwich but i was just like i was just so just Floored by that because the 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 next thought that went to that came from normal K was what if everything every action I've ever taken in my life was to prove to others that I was good and what would it look like if I no longer had to do that like that all in that moment I'm mean, going have like insane goosebumps from from all this, but that's, and it started to fade a little bit. But now, you know, when, I don't know what, today we had a coaching call and we sent the wrong dial-in, we fucked up the dial-ins. And so one person was a little bit upset because it's pretty expensive and it's unclear whose fault it was. Immediately I'm like, okay, you're a bad person. Like you're trying to rip off this person. You're not, you know. This person's going to go off to their corner and think about how bad, you know, how dishonest you were and how you tried to steal their money or cut corners or what that. And so now I can come back and I know what's, ha- what's at play. You know, I know that it is this threat to my goodness. And, and I can kind of say to myself, like, it was just a mistake. You are still a good, you, know, you are a good person. And you just move on, you know, and, and before it would have been this spiral mm-hmm. of like, you suck, you're, you this, you that, you're this, and this, this, and this. So, so I, I, I stopped there cause that was like that when I, I think I read your essay probably like two weeks after that happened. Oh, so it kind of all came together so, so quickly. So that's, that's, yeah, that's, that's my story
1: on, on goodness. Wow. That's beautiful. Thanks for sharing. There's a lot of like common. Themes across both of our stories, it makes sense that we're having this conversation. I guess because there's so yeah. much open up, and it sounds like, in a way, because of that experience and because of that realization and meeting Pure K, it sounds like your baseline changed in a way, yeah. right? Like now, yeah. now you don't spiral the same way maybe as, yeah. as before. And
0: it's absolutely true. My baseline did change, and it just it. It's almost like, you know, imagine, you know, you have like a camera that can only see like a, like a horse with the blinders. Mm-hmm. So it's like, I only knew the world through this one very narrow perspective was like fighting to always prove that I'm good. And now it's like, they're opened up and it's like, I still have, I can still see that lane that I used to live in, but it just has so much, uh, uh, so much, such a richer context. And I do – what I haven't had, though, is when you said this, you know, this other time you just had this, like, this flood where you were just, like, over – I feel like I've gotten a taste Mm -hmm. of it, but I I still – I don't fully live and breathe and feel it yet, which is fine. I think it's like anything. These are lifelong journeys to see, but, like, at least – that you know, and this is what I why I love kind of what I do is just if you could just open the door a little bit for someone else, just the fact that the door can be open changes the way that they can that they can see it. So so yeah, I'm 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 back I'm back on my self love journey. So that's all right. it 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 continues.
1: Amazing. Yeah, it's just like you said, it takes that one shift in perspective to then send you off on this kind of journey and to start to see the situations as, as being, it's like, yeah, you can just step back from it and have perspective and not, not get sucked into it the same way. And the, I I love that it, all it takes is just one little perspective shift or mm. one little vision. Yeah. Because yeah, it's very transformational. And I think for, for for me, like maybe three years ago, if I had heard this conversation and the stuff that we're saying, I would have think that it's completely unreachable and just unfathomable, mm-hmm. but yeah, I just want to say that it's like way more reachable than like, if someone is listening and they're like, oh, whatever, like, I don't, I can't quite get what, yeah. what this is about. And I think, yeah, I would say it's just, it's way more accessible and reachable.
0: Yeah. So if you're if you're listening, if you're the child of immigrants or if you're immigrants (laughs) that thought you should be a doctor, a banker, a lawyer (laughs) and and even if you know, psychedelics are not on your menu of of things you want to do, like it is absolutely, absolutely possible. I never in a million years thought that I would be A, these words would come out of my mouth and B, they would come out of my mouth in such a public forum that you know i'd be proud of it and, and i'd want others to know because culturally and I, I suspect it's similar with you it's like i think my parents probably listen to this podcast and they're probably like what is you know like he's got i like, think first he quit his wall street job now it's like psychedelics with his wife like what the fuck is wrong with this kid <laughs> yeah
1: i think that's, that's the thing is that like i think our I don't know if achievements is the right word, but these kind of discoveries are illegible to our parents. And I think that that creates a little bit of a disconnect. But I think ultimately, I think most parents want their children to be happy. And this is kind of heading more towards happiness than, than anything else. So,
0: Absolutely. Can you tell me, so going back to Joe's, workshop so that was where he said most people suffer from this belief that they're not inherently good like what happened you know there's a room of what 20 50 people on this is all on zoom like what what happened like what happened to you after kind of that statement was made
1: yeah I think something definitely clicked for me because I was like I'm always looking for like principles and kind of mental models and things that will kind of put things into perspective or make things make sense. And this is, this was one of those moments where I was like, oh, this suddenly everything just fell into place when I heard that, but then hearing it was one thing and then actually like doing the work to practice it, you know, to actually internalize it and make it be part of the, the body and the system, that was like another, a whole other thing because, you know, we, they put you into smaller groups of like five, six people. And then they also put you in a partnered, like a group of two people. So for eight weeks, you're meeting with these people and going through these exercises. So like an exercise would be like, I'm trying to remember, I think I did gave an example in the post. Yeah.
0: It's if i if I didn't have to improve or something I'd rather improve my X than love myself as I am yeah and you then, get to repeat
1: and then you're just encouraged so you will have a partner like like we are we are now for example like we would set a timer for seven minutes and then I would be keep saying I would you know I, I would keep saying that with a different prompt each time, or a bit a different value for X each time and then you as you do for... that you get Closer and closer to the truth.
0: Wow. And then there's this
1: like realization and then you're like, "Oh, okay, so I do these things in order to improve because ultimately I want to be loved, but I think that to be loved in order to be loved I need to improve. And like that mm. just sinks in and you're being witnessed while you're going through that. And then you go on to the next exercise and then you're doing this for eight weeks. So wow. you're bound to come out as a different person by the end of it. So
0: you, so I would just say to you for four minutes, I'd rather improve my surfing than to love myself how I am. I'd rather lift more weights than to love myself how I am. I'd rather make more money as an entrepreneur than to love myself how yeah. I am. That, yeah, that basically... with, more,
1: with more poses, I would say, but yeah. So that it like... Oh, with more legs. poses. Yeah.
0: You so you have to like actually like feel it in your yeah, body. Yeah, and you right? wait for
1: it to emerge from your body rather than your thinking brain.
0: Oh, yeah. oh, yeah. got it. So got it. one of
1: the first exercises they gave us, which I think helped, it was one of the things that helped me to become more embodied, which was we had to introduce ourselves to the group, like the smaller group from our head and then from our heart and then from our gut. Hmm. And when we did that, I I was amazed because I introduced myself from the head. And it's like what I've heard hmm. before. It's like, oh, I do this for work, et cetera. And then I spoke from the heart, and I was like, whoa, who's talking? Like, where did this come from? And then I spoke from the gut, and then again, something else came. You know, it was like, I like to walk on the grass barefoot. And I was like, since when? You know? Wow. it Wow, like, that was the gut? That was the gut, yeah.
0: Do you remember the heart?
1: I don't know, because it was three years ago. Yeah.
0: That, that's fascinating. And so how do you, to to our listeners you know, you said you turbocharge this and you mentioned breathwork, you mentioned internal family systems, you mentioned Tara Brock and Rain. I've seen you allude to Kristen Neff's work. If you had to distill down kind of the 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 newbies, the noob's guide to self-love, like a little mini journey or curriculum, what would that, like, what are some of the, the what are some of the core things that, that, that you know, modalities that that consists mm-hmm. of? And like, what are actual ways that people could go and, and try them on, on their own or hire, hire people?
1: Yeah. So, yeah, I've been thinking about this and I've been kind of thinking about this question of like, okay, how do I take my journey and help someone get there in this time? And so I kind of like came up with like this framework or this like pyramid where I broke down kind of everything I did fell into these three categories and one at the base of the pyramid is, I call it like safety in the body or nervous system Mm. regulation, which is basically this feeling of your nervous system is in a place that is able to perceive the environment as safe. And therefore being in your body feels safe because when we're in a frozen state or in a fight or flight state, the body wants to escape, or sorry, the mind wants to escape from the body because the body, is just mm-hmm. too much like feelings of discomfort in the body. And when we're able to regulate the nervous system, and that's what I was doing with the breath work I was doing, down-regulated breathing exercises every day to... This was because basically the burnout put me into a combination of like frozen and fight or flight state. And that became my new normal, my new baseline. So I had to, with the breathing exercise, I had to bring it back to now bring my baseline to the parasympathetic, to safety essentially. God. And I think- So is that
0: fair? I just got like a surprise tax bill. And it's like way higher than the amount of cash that I have in the business bank account. And so all of a sudden my mind starts racing. I'm a very heady, and I imagine our listeners are very heady people. So my mind's racing like, could I do this? Could I do that? I can't believe you know there's self-doubt. I can't believe you didn't do this. Can't believe you did that. Should you do this? Should you do that? Obviously my body, there's a ton of shit happening in my body in that moment. What is it? Is that first level basically connecting all the, like, mental spiral parts that's happening in your brain to basically, like, ground you back into that moment? Or is that...
1: Yeah, it's too, yeah like, it's the, you... kind of being able to jump from that state to a parasympathetic state, like, kind of as quickly mm-hmm. as possible. Well, well, it doesn't have to be super quick, but, you know, being able to actually get into that state and then ground yourself so that then because what happens is when you're in a fight or flight for example you your brain is just picking up like seeing everything as a threat or like really mm. trying to notice like all the the threat signals and even when it comes to like communicating with someone you might interpret like their facial patterns as being like uh, again threatening so when so when you get grounded then you can kind of in a way, seeing see reality for for what it is as opposed to like your, yeah. your own projection of a lot of safety. So yeah, that's what I would say. Yeah, the grounding, being able to ground. And i realize realized as well, like when you ground, your capacity grows. So there's been times where I've been at a party, for example, and I'm like, oh, I am so overwhelmed. I just want to go home. And then I think about the journey. I'm like, oh shit, it's going to take me an hour to get home what am I going to do? Like, I don't have the capacity to even deal with the next hour because I'm so overstimulated. And then, like, I'll go to the toilet or to a room or somewhere and I'll do some breathing exercises. And then I'll be like, actually, I think I can socialize for another hour. So Got your it. capacity changes based on where your nervous system is at.
0: Got um, it. And in your post, you had, there's an, there was an app that you had mentioned that teaches these different kinds of Yeah, I use OtherShip. Othership. Yes. Cool. So is that a good place? I mean, I I know some basic breathing. I think you might know Connie. Mm-hmm. Uh, Biel Bialski. Yeah. I, I might butcher her last name, but I worked with her for breath work back cool. in the day. So I have some some tools on breath work, but I'm a little I'm a little dusty and I definitely need the down regulation breath work. So okay, so that's the bottom that's the first pyramid of DIY self love. What's <laughs> what would the point. Yeah, what the would next the one second is move?
1: Feeling your emotions. So this was something that I, I had, this kind of advice being thrown around a lot before, and I was like, sometimes I say I would be in a bad situation. I'm like, okay, I'm gonna feel my emotions, and then I would sit there, and then immediately my brain would distract itself, and then I would realize, and then I would come back, and I'm like, okay, I'm gonna feel my emotions, and then it would. And then this cycle would just repeat or I would grab my phone and then I would put my phone far away and sit back again. And I just couldn't do it. And then what what happened was after my, after leaving my job, I, so I'd been doing the breathing exercises every day. So I'd been working on my nervous system and then I'd also started IFS therapy. And about six months into this process, one day I was talking to my partner and then suddenly I realized, so I hadn't gone to therapy for the last like couple of weeks and I suddenly realized, oh my God, I've been regulating my own emotions without my therapist's help or my partner's help. And that was huge. And then I realized, and then I started doing it consciously. And. And I could do it suddenly, whereas before I couldn't. And I think the reason I couldn't before is a combination of the safety in the body thing that I mentioned, the nervous system regulation. And the other thing was the IFS therapy helped me essentially feel a lot of this unfelt emotions. Like I had this backlog from childhood, from, you know, all the years that I'd lit I had lived. It's like I had this emotional debt that I needed to pay off before I could deal with the emotions in the present moment. So when I, when I did that, then I was able to, in the moment, be able to feel my emotions. And that for me was like the most transformational skill because yeah, I could essentially ride. It's a bit, I guess, surfing is a good example. It's like, it's like riding a wave and You know, you write this emotion, let's say there's sadness, and you write it for a few seconds, maybe 30 seconds, and then the wave breaks. And then you have another emotion, maybe you have confusion, and then you write it, and then it breaks. And then you write the next one. And eventually you get to just a feeling of calm and peace.
0: It's, It's so beautiful to hear you describe that. As I'm hearing you talk, I'm realizing that I'm like you three years ago where i don't i think i intellectually get what you're saying but i don't think i actually have ever experienced it and as you were talking i was like i don't even know what emotions i've had and you know like i it's almost like i've put emotions in this own cat it's like in a box right and i think especially emotions that would be perceived as, you know, negative emotions like anger or frustration. And, and I just like, I think what happens is when those come up, there's a little voice that says, stop feeling that. Don't feel that. Don't feel that. Not good for you to feel that. And then I like, I distract myself somehow, like, you know, with my phone or with like thinking about something else, like forcing myself. So it's, it's it's crazy because yeah it, it's it's a yeah, I just I hear you say, I'm like, I don't know I don't think I know how to feel. Like that, that's that's kind of what I'm that's what I'm hearing as you're talking. And if I'm feeling that, I know many of our listeners are are like, Thank you for you know, like you're saying what we I don't know. Do you ever get that? I'm I'm sure you deal with like cerebral heady people. It feels like a very cerebral thing to be like, I don't know what the fuck I'm feeling. Yeah. Ever.
1: And and I, I, I understand that and I think I was used I used to be more like that. And I think even now sometimes there are times when I'm resisting feeling something. So I'll catch myself scrolling on TikTok or like I can catch myself like, oh, I'm avoiding something and then something's like yeah. I'm not ready to face it. So then I'm like, okay, fine, we'll just yeah. scroll a little bit more. And and I think if when we're used to resisting the emotions that just becomes the the pattern, you know, it becomes the norm. But I would say, again, I would say it's not that out of reach. Going from a place mm-hmm. of not being able to fully feel to place of yeah, being able to feel them. And
0: and I, I would say it's I, I was I did, I was mindlessly eating pistachios. They were like salted pistachios, and I'm and I was doing I was like. I'm not hungry. These aren't, per- they're satisfying. But, you know, when you've eaten 100 <laughs> yeah. pistachios, the 101st is not that satisfying. The 101st anything is not that satisfying. But I just can't stop. And it was like, it was like being on TikTok. I was just, mm. I can't stop. And, and I actually asked myself, I heard Johnny, Johnny Miller, our friend, I heard his voice being like, hey, what are you feeling right now? And so, so I, I guess, so I, I went into breath. Mm-hmm. I was like, I took like a few deep breaths, but I still jumped to the intellectual. It's like, I'm nervous about this interview. I'm nervous about X. or I'm nervous about Y. And so I'm excited to explore mm-hmm. the, 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 the gap between the two.
1: Yeah. And I think there's a way to see that story without, so if we go back to the surfing analogy is like, you're riding the wave and let's say there's like this sadness that's com- coming up. And I think sometimes you can get yanked from riding this wave. Like you can y- get yanked mm-hmm. to, to be able to like engage with the story, but that keeps the emotion. And I think there's a way to look up and see the story while you're riding it without getting yanked. But I think it takes mm-hmm. takes some practice to kind of... Yeah.
0: yeah. No, that's... That's super helpful. And so, tell us about the third, the third level of the DI, the self love. I'm calling I love it. it. DI I one. love Not your. Still... hierarchy. <laughs> Please do.
1: Yeah. So the next one is, I. So you can call it connection or loving others, mm-hmm. and this one is about essentially how we relate to other people and how in a. Especially when we show up to a connection with mutually kind of grounded nervous systems, there can be a lot of room for just nourishing encouragement and loving attention that is not, you're not trying to get something out of them. You're just there because you just, you like them and you appreciate them and stuff and being in those kind of connections, you can essentially, by loving them, you teach yourself that you're able to love someone despite their weaknesses, which then teaches yourself that you can love yourself despite your own weaknesses. And when they love you, despite your weaknesses, you also get to experience that is possible, that you are lovable despite your weaknesses. So those are the three, the three
0: layers. I love, I mean that like a classic one on that is just, is is family, Mm -hmm. right? (laughs) It's like family dynamics. It's like everyone loves each other. Like that is clear. But the number of like attacks and microaggressions and passive aggressive and you're not doing this right and like childhood traumas and all of that is, yeah, it reminds, it, it reminds me, there's a, I'm sure you, you've you done or, or or know of loving kindness mm-hmm. meditation. Med- and so the one time me- metta meditation and the way, the way I was taught it is You say to your, you bring someone into your, your heart or into your, into your heart space. You're like, may you be well, may you be safe, may you be happy, may you live with ease and with, and in peace. There's, I'm sure there's a a lot of different variations. I remember once that I was super jet lagged, like one of those like 12 hour jet lags where you have like no concept of what time it is. And I just couldn't sleep. And I think I did a one hour meta meditation where I was just repeating that to all these like strangers and politicians and actors. And, you know, it was just, you run out of people to direct it towards and that you know. And I think by the end, I was like straight up hallucinating. Mm-hmm. It was just such a, because it was, it was so long. Normally when I do a meta, med, like it's really like five minutes or 10 would be very long. But this time it was, it was like 60 minutes. And I just remember just being overwhelmed by kind of an out-of-body experience and probably the jet lag as well. But I could, I, I, I definitely, you know, the, the, the journey that we came back from was a couples guided intense, like couples therapy, basically. And it wasn't really the journey part was the last part of it and it was optional. So it wasn't really about that. That was more like, if you feel like doing it, you can do this thing as well. But the first couple of days were all about managing kind of like when two people fight in a wet a marriage, how can you down kind of regulate yourself emotionally and then communicate versus communicating in these like fight or flight modes, which as we learned for me is like anytime my wife gets mad at me, it's like, oh, I'm not yeah. a good person, right? That's that's what yeah. I hear when I know she doesn't think that. And so it's it's just, it's fascinating to just see the interplay amongst all those different levels and someone who's somewhat of a tourist to the world of self-love has, I've experienced little bits and pieces of it throughout my own personal life.
1: Seems like you're more of a tourist now. You're local, sounds like you're <laughs> local.
0: I'm a local, <laughs> Yes. Especially after this conversation, so, so yeah, so I, I I'd love to to wrap on you know what would you tell someone who is who's listened to this and they're like, I feel everything that you've described. I I get imposter syndrome at my work. My negative chatter is crazy you know i i'm just i feel disconnected from my body i have this fundamental belief that i'm i'm not in an inherent i'm not inherently good what are like what are your parting thoughts to that to that person
1: i would say focus on grounding i think the nervous system stuff is probably the most most important thing and just acknowledge that just kind of see see your humanity and see see that you're having a very human experience and yeah and if if you're if you're feeling ungrounded yeah just kind of focusing on being grounded so that eventually the body can become a safe haven
0: beautiful and i think i i love how you said you're having a very human experience which is what you know we're two strangers on the internet meeting for the first time. I didn't want to say this at the beginning, but if you've listened this far, this was just meant to be a get to know each other conversation. And, and Anita was grace, gracious enough. I was like, I think people would benefit from this and we're basically going to talk about the same thing. So I thank you, Anita, for allowing us, allowing our listeners into what was meant to be a private space. but really just like a beautiful reminder of this shared human experience right i think that's that that's what attracted me to your story and that's what attracts people to listen to this podcast is that that you know people will be experiencing these things and to know that they're not unique in that suffering and that self-doubt it's like a very common thing and we're all supporting each other and, and we all have experienced it. So I'm, I'm super grateful. And thank you for allowing us to record what was meant to be a, a private get to know you phone call and pulling out your microphone and changing headphones throughout the, the interview.
1: Yeah, Thank you for deciding to hit record on this and suggesting that because I love listening to conversations on podcasts and I'm always like, Oh my God, I'm so glad they recorded this. Imagine this, this could have been a <laughs> private phone call. And so, yes. yeah, I really appreciate that. And I think, again, I would echo what I said earlier about all the stuff we discussed. It's like, if some of it feels out of reach, I would say, yeah, it's 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 definitely reachable and doable and, and, yeah, all the best.
0: Yes. And so before we sign off, I always ask our guests is there any any creator writer thinker artist that that you think needs more people need to know about and so i don't know if anyone comes to mind for you yeah the
1: the person that comes to mind is my good friend nebras i think her handle is hey nebras on twitter
0: oh yes so maybe i know i i follow nebras we'll drop it's Uh, nebras well
1: i think she pronounces her name nebras but many of us mispronounce her name okay
0: (laughs) we'll put nebraska's nebraska's twitter handle in the in in the the show notes and then lastly anita you know you you do this work this is your work now or i think it's a part of your work now how can we're going to link to that essay and to your blog and to your twitter obviously but like, just to say, share a little bit about how you work with people, if they're hearing this and say, you know, I want to go further.
1: Yeah. So I do a 90-minute somatic coaching session where essentially I ask the person to to be laying down for the entirety of the session. So we'll... we'll Start off with a, a nervous system exercise in the form of breathing. So we'll do a down-regulated breathing exercise to really calm the body and ground out the, the system. And then we'll get to the, the main part of the session, which is kind of feeds into the um, feeling your emotions layer of the pyramid, which is essentially dealing with unfelt emotions in the body. You know things that want to come up, and it's it's a very embodied experience and very focused on the on the body rather than maybe some problem that they're they're wanting to come to. Maybe like if they were going to therapy, they would come with a problem, but mm. with this work, I just kind of ask like, bring your body and let's see what your body wants to to surface, and then and then we'll do a self-love guided meditation towards the end, and that's to essentially like familiarize the body with these sensations of love for oneself. And then we round it out with another nervous system exercise that I learned from Joe, which is a shaking of, so if there was any freezing in the system during the session, the shaking of helps, bring, brings the person out, out of that. And it's just a really nice way to round out the, the, the session
0: beautiful and that people can learn about that on your website at,
1: uh it's distillery, yeah
0: and yeah. and we'll put the link
1: for us coaching
0: beautiful well thank you again anita this was an absolute treat and i can't wait for people to listen